For me, age is an advantage, you know, but I also see it's an advantage if you are young and it's an advantage if you are old. Because when you are old, you have more experiences, more images, more memories, more connections, more resources. But the spirit is the same. The spirit is the same. Hello, and welcome to the New Rules of Business by Chief. I'm Carolyn Childers. I'm Lindsay Kaplan, and we're the co-founders of Chief, the network of the most powerful women in business. Every episode, we dive deep into a complex leadership question alongside some of the best business minds in the world. And this week's topic is one we've all seen frantic headlines about, generational warfare in the workplace. Stuff like... Gen Z is coming for the boomers, or millennials are killing every industry except avocado toast. Hey, I love avocado toast. For the record, it is both healthy and delicious. Well, you are such a millennial. (laughs) Mm, I'm actually an elder millennial. They're calling me an elder now. Noted. But it feels like every time we start to talk about how people from different generations work together, the same negative themes continue to come up. Like boomers are bad at technology, or Gen Z is biased in how they relate to people from Gen X. Exactly. But there's actually never been a study that shows any meaningful differences in the way that we work that can be attributed to our respective generations. And I think multi-age collaboration can be powerful in business. Completely. So today, we're talking to three women with big ideas about age and experience. First up, Ashton Applewhite. TED speaker and author of This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism. And then we're joined by the legendary fashion designer Diane von Furstenberg and Gabby Harada, president of DVF. They're going to give us an inside look at their own powerful multi-age relationship and how it has led to strength for them and for the brand. Ashton, thank you so much for joining us. So. We're really interested in the idea of how ageism manifests in the workplace. And I'm extra interested in what you call the generation trap. Can you explain what you mean by that term? Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. The trap is using, overusing the word generation. First of all, the term generation has no scientific basis. Social scientists, demographers, economists, they can't agree on what the term means. So you can never measure The biggest problem, I would say, is that when we group people according to age and act as though age is responsible for how we think and act, it obscures the way bigger role that class in particular plays in shaping our actions and our experiences and also gender and also ethnicity. Age is a much, 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 much smaller variable in almost anything, frankly, than we think it is. Another big problem is that when we group people into quote unquote generations, big big air quotes around that word, it fosters divisions. You know, the classic one is boomers, millennials. You know, boomers are greedy. Millennials are, are lazy. And speaking of the workplace, a standard trope about millennials, although millennials are aging out of this stereotype, is that millennials are unreliable and self-indulgent because they change jobs all the time. When people my age were that age, we did it too. It is a function of how old you are, which of course does shape what your opportunities are, but it is a function of being that age, not of when we were born. And the media 
And marketers love dividing people into groups. It is profitable. It is usable. They can market things to people and they can foster this idea of generational conflict. There is no such thing. There is no evidence that older people don't care about the young people whom we will leave behind. And there's no evidence whatsoever that younger people don't care about older people around them. Families are mixed age. Communities are mixed age. Life is mixed age. And dividing the generation trap also encourages segregation. You know, it fosters this idea that people in a given age group don't have stuff in common with another age group. And that's just not true. Although when we don't mix, it is harder for us to discover the things we are interested in or not interested in or like to do or don't like to do, which really, again, have very little to do with age, unless your thing is extreme athletics. That it is true. <laughs> that is true. You are unlikely to find a lot of really old people doing, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. So you're saying when I call Lindsay a millennial that I am doing a disservice to her as a person. First of we all, fight about I am, that all the time. first of all, I am an elder millennial, according to recent <laughs> I articles I have read. Geriatric millennial. Thank you. Which feels ageist. And second of all, I think Carolyn, are you a zennial? And why do you gravitate towards these these sub names around generations? Is this something that we're clinging to recently? Maybe. But the, the minute you see something that applies to the group to which you think you belong, it's clickbait. We click on it because of the very human trait to see whether or not it applies to us. But we, the word is super handy. It's super ubiquitous. It's this very convenient shorthand, but it really is a habit. And it is a habit we need to break. If you want to describe what characteristic it is that you're referring to in Lindsay when you call her a millennial, describe what she's doing or what she's thinking. I guarantee you there are more people born within five years of either side of Lindsay who are different from that and don't do that thing. There's more always more variation within a group, whether it's adolescents or Albanians than there is between adolescents and Albanians. And stereotyping is never, ever, ever a good idea. Yes, absolutely. But can you talk a little bit about the critical benefits that come from having a mixed age workplace? Well, the most obvious one is that you have a lot of experience if you don't lay off your older workers. I mean, it is sort of nutty to have to say experience is an advantage, not a liability. A mixed age team is obviously, there's, there's data to show that they are more effective, especially in creative industries, and even that companies are more profitable. But it's intuitively better for the same reason that a mixed gender team is better, that a mixed race team is better, mixed ethnicity. You have more perspectives at the table. And this is not to say that, you know, that young people will all be tech wizards or that the older people should be selling, you know, retirement homes and the young people should be selling some technology or, you know, hip music stuff. So it's not so that we can fulfill stereotyped roles. It is because it is an advantage to have diversity at the table. And of course, age is a criterion for diversity. And stereotypes often have a little, an element of truth in them. You know, a younger people on the team might throw out a bunch of quote unquote wild ideas, you know, that have never been tried that perhaps an older person might not think of. So when you have more 
stuff in the pot, you come up with richer solutions that speak to a broader customer base. Absolutely. So what can executives do to create these age-diverse workplaces where employees of all age groups can thrive? Well, I know that there are tons and tons of websites out there that address this for people who have corporate experience in all different sectors, you know, especially in tech, especially in advertising, especially in media, which are hugely uh, ageist industries. I know there was a big study that just came out from an organization called Wait For It Generation that showed that a lot of the block is in HR professionals who average age is somewhere in the mid 40s, I believe. And we all tend to gravitate to and feel most comfortable with people who are like us. Their study is pretty amazing that when they hired older workers or managed older workers, the older workers did as well or better than younger people in the company. And again, this is not to say older people are better or not as good. We want both. We want an age range in the workforce. Despite data that showed that these older workers met or surpassed their standards, they still discriminated against older job applicants. So we have the skills. We know the training. Make sure it is applied. Amazing. Well, a huge thank you for coming and joining us today. Keep up your good work. That was author and anti-ageism speaker Ashton Applewhite. I thought she gave some really powerful context in that discussion. I had never considered generation as a charged term or even an imprecise term. Yeah, and I think she's totally right. There are plenty of people in my age group that I have less in common with than someone my parents' age. And a multi-age workplace can have real benefits versus one where people are all the same age. They've got different experiences, different ways of engaging in the world, different styles. We talk all the time about the benefits of diversity, and that includes diversity of age. Exactly, which is why I'm so excited for our next guests, Gabby Harada and Diane von Furstenberg. Obviously, Diane von Furstenberg needs no introduction. This woman is a legend. She launched her fashion line in 1972, and over the decades, she's grown the company into an international powerhouse. And since it is relevant to this conversation, she's in her 70s. By contrast, Gabby Harada, the president of DBF, is in her early 30s, but brings a wealth of supply chain expertise to the helm of DBF. She's also in my core group at Chief, so we've gotten to know each other really well, and I can tell you she's absolutely incredible. We asked Diane and Gabby about the genesis of their working relationship and what advice they'd give to other mixed-age collaborators. Hi, Diane and Gabby. Thank you for joining us again. As you know, both of you spoke with the entire Chief community, and it was probably the most exciting, most powerful conversation we've hosted at Chief to date. Well, it was actually very exciting for us, too, because I don't think that Gabby and I never had a conversation like that. So it was very candid, and it was a wonderful opportunity for me to tell her what I thought about her. And the best way To do that is to do it in front of an audience, because then many people hear. Then it's real. So, Diane, 
I'd love to start with you. Your story is legendary and could probably fill the entire podcast or honestly an entire season of podcasts. So we'd love to hear an abbreviated version. Specifically, how did you go from being an independent designer to building this huge internationally renowned brand? When I first started, when I was younger, I did not really know what I wanted to do, but I knew the kind of woman I wanted to be. I had no experience. I stayed late at night. I worked with a pattern maker. I used the fabric I found on the floor. And before I knew, I had a tiny little collection. And I ended up in America with a suitcase full of little dresses. And people look at those little dresses. They say, well, what's so special about these dresses? But there was Diana Breland. Diana Breland was the editor-in-chief of Vogue, and she was the most inspiring. She was the fashion queen. And she saw me and the dresses, and she says, this is genius. This is so modern. This is so fresh. And she helped me a little bit. And then the rest is history. And so, you know, you go success, and then, of course, you overexpose, and you have you know, all, I sold the company and, and then the people who bought the company completely ruined it. And then years later, 20 years later, I got it back and I started again. And so my career has been up and down in so many ways. So what I think is important for people to know is that there is no such thing as continuous success. The big lesson is that I was, I tried to always be true to myself. Sometimes I gave power to other people in the company and they tried to go in another direction and that always failed. I always had to go back and go back to myself. And what is also being very consistent is that above anything, I'm a feminist, okay? Mm. I was a feminist in 1972. I'm a feminist in 2022. And for me, it was always the woman first. So when I made fashion, even in my work, it's the woman first. So I was very lucky. I think that I was very lucky that somehow I used the vision of the woman I wanted to be, which is a chic, liberated, powerful, woman who can use seduction as a tool, but who can also be incredibly practical. So I use Mm. this vision of a woman and I turn this vision of a woman into a wardrobe, into a concept, into a philosophy. And somehow now that I am an older person, I look back and I see, wow, all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle do fit together. It's such a good story. And with one of the principles for you being true to yourself, it's really exciting to have this conversation with both you and Gabby, where you're putting a ton of trust into Gabby in shepherding some of these next phases of the company's growth. So Gabby, would love to turn it to you and just hear a little bit more about your story and your career trajectory that brought you into the role now at DVF. Of course. Uh, Mine is going to be a much shorter version than (laughs) Diane's. But I started in supply chain. 
But when I started, I remember feeling not enough. I remember feeling, if not anything, a little bit insecure about production because I had a big dream to have that corner office and to be a CEO when I was 19 years old. I didn't see many CEOs with a production background because it's like back of the house, very detail-oriented. I was crunching numbers every day. And now 12 years later, really the vision for creating this new DVF, the DVF uh, new chapter, really comes from my solid understanding of the production. So today I'm looking at my career from the past 12 years, from 12 years ago, and I'm very happy to call myself supply chain executive because look, look around, Apple, Tim Cooks, one of the most famous supply chain background CEO, I think, I think it's an exciting time for us. It's incredible. And Diane, how did you know that Gabby was the right pick to lead DVF in this moment? COVID happened, right? And I thought, oh my God, if the world is stopping, this is the opportunity for me to reset the business model. I didn't know how, but I knew that was the decision. At the time, I had met Gabby because she was she had been hired to manage the Asian business of DVF. But I noticed her because in February 2020, in China, there was already COVID. And it was... It was Fashion Week in New York. And the Chinese influencers, some of those women were already in New York, panicked and worried about what was going on in their country. And Gabby came to me and she said, do you think we can have, she didn't even mention cocktail, you think we can have a little gathering in your office and maybe we have tea and maybe we could stream it for China and you could show your concern about what's happening there. And of course, I say, of course. And I immediately, and we did it. And just like, you know, the solidarity when you put 15 women together and you talk openly about difficult moments, magic happens because everybody is so honest and so real. What happened that was major for me that day is I noticed Gabby. And I thought, this girl is special. So when I was facing the moment that I had to furlough people, that I had to close a lot of the stores and things like that, there was one person I needed more than anyone. And it was Gabby because she speaks Chinese because my biggest distribution is in China, where I have 50 stores, because my chain and supply is there. And therefore, I needed someone who could spend their night talking to China and turning, you know, and making things continue. And then we started to talk. And then she took over. She took over in the sense that she had a vision. And she turned things around, and I trusted her. And at some point, I said, Gabby, I think you should run the company. And she said, 
I can't do that. I'm only 31 and I'm Chinese. And my answer was, that's precisely why I want you to run it. Hmm. And that's what happened. So Gabby, from your side, did you realize as you were kind of having some of these first conversations that it could turn into the opportunity it did? I wrote down this in my diary, Diane, our first real phone call. That was in March. That was when, you know, we started following people and uh, everyone knows as, you know, as employees. Somehow I was, I was pretty sure I'm going to use that conversation to pitch to Diane about this crazy idea I have, which is let's continue this brand and let's amplify this brand and let's make money and let's earn admiration, love from all women around the world more so than today. It's just, I see that so clearly, like writing on the wall, but you still need to prepare for your vision to actually be practical. So within 24 hours, I had uh, five phone conversations and meetings with uh, key stakeholders as well as our team and China partner, because my proposal is on one thing, which is let's everyone do what they do the best. So COVID really was that trigger point. What do we do? What We have to do something. So I saw all of that, even though I didn't have 100% confidence everything will happen exactly as it happened today. I just saw it. So when Diane and I talked, I just went on with my little one pager, be like, here's an idea. Other than this five different paths that you are considering, I like to throw in the sixth one. And I think that's the best one. So that's, uh, that's really how it started. I wanted to say, I don't know. It happened. It was a surprise. But I really saw it because I wrote down in my journal on March, March uh, 11th. You willed it into being. Yeah. I love that it didn't just happen to you, that like you took command of it and went out and, and created that vision that allowed for it to happen. Gabby and I, we are, I mean, now we're going to sound like silly girls, but we are both <laughs> Capricorns. And so we are goats, you know, and goats climb. Mm. And they, they have tiny little legs, but the legs are very strong. And the one thing she told me, she said, every night I go to sleep, I visualize. And visualizing in life, in business, in anything is the most important thing. You, it's very important to be able to visualize through the detail what ideas you have. My Tai Chi teacher told me, you have to focus on intention. Intention is a magic word. If you focus on power, you get hurt. Mm. If you focus on energy, you procrastinate. But if you focus on the intention, you get the power and the energy. And Gabby had, I mean, that was a brilliant idea to put the production into that side of the world and where the products get made. Because at the end, the product is key. But having said that, two years later, I still think that Gabby has not fully understood the power that she has. And so every day she discovers a little bit more how 
what her first initial idea and vision makes sense. You two obviously came up in different generations with probably different working styles and certainly a different global economy. But it seems as though you see eye to eye on a lot. So do you think your age gap is even relevant as you continue to work together? I have to say that it was such a shock to be tapped as the chief to run DBF. And my response was so, I think, authentic and kind of bad response. You don't say, oh, I can't, it can't be me when your boss asks you to run, your, run her company. But I said that because you see age can be such a source of insecurity. I just felt that I was not ready. I felt I needed to wait for my turn. And I think throughout all this time, Diane talking to me every day, own your insecurity becomes your asset. I really am now embracing age mm. as a value add, as a plus, as um, my ability to embrace and double down on all the technology advancements we're adding. First of all, I started so young. So youth was never an obstacle. The great advantage of youth is, is you, don't, you have nothing to lose because you're young. So youth is an advantage. It's an advantage if you are young and it's an advantage if you are old. Because when you are old, you have more experiences, more images, more memories, more connections, more resources. But the spirit is the same. And what it is, is you own your imperfection, you turn them into asset. You own your vulnerability, it becomes your strength. And it's all about the honesty. And it's all about the relationship you have with yourself. The lesson number one in life, and I'm telling that to everyone, is the most important relationship in life is the one you have with yourself. Once you have that, any other relationship is a plus and not a must. So the relationship you have with yourself, the honesty, the complicity, the, all of that that you have with yourself is more important than anything. Yeah. And Gabby has that. So would you say the two of you have similar working styles? Oh, no. She is more meticulous. She's very logistic inclined. And I am dream. I dream big. I talk big. And then somehow in between, it will get done. Mm. And so she gets very upset with me when <laughs> I go too fast, when I do this, when I do that. But the wonderful thing with Gabby is that she hears. Mm. And hearing is more important than listening. Because listen, that means you listen to what your boss say and you do it. That's okay. What is important is to hear it. Because then she hears, she may, she may not agree at first or may be upset. Then she comes back and she said, you know, and then she heard it. And therefore she can apply it however she wants. Just to add, actually, now I think about it, we are very different on that regard. I'm very disciplined. I'm very to-do list driven, long-term, five-year plan, one-year plan driven. Diane is so intuitive, so visionary. She has 20 amazing, greatest ideas before her breakfast time. 
So often, you know, we debate, and through that debate, true priority emerges. Uh, but there are times where I I didn't even realize that I was like, "Why are you screaming?" I was like screaming on the phone. It's like it's so painful for me to say no to you, <laughs> but I have to say no. I have to say no to you because one, two, three, four, five bullet point reasons, and we we're gonna do one thing and one thing only until it's good. And then sometimes I hang up my phone. It's like, did I just yell at DVF? I think I just did. But then talking about authenticity, I I, I guess that's how empowered I am to speak the truth. And speak my heart, and what backed me up is my passion. How、yeah. much I care, and I was like, I guess I just really love you. I love you so genuinely. <laughs> and and you see, the thing is that I have a magic wand, and I use my magic wand every day. I try to make a miracle, at least one miracle a day, for other people, and this this gives me pleasure, but it also it creates more miracle, you know. So I know I can do anything, or I know I can make things happen, and so I have less time ahead of me too. So I am more in a hurry. Gabby is, she executes、mm. it, and she executed step by step. And I think this is all very, very fresh, very, very new, and time will tell. But I think that we were incredibly lucky to find each other, and I think that we are in a very, very exciting path. She is on the exciting path, and you know, the more I I teach her, the more I I connect her with people, with knowledge, with this, the more I will pull away so that I can. Work on my impact because again, what is important to me is that I am very much of a feminist, and I really want very much to spend the last period of my life to use my voice, my experience, my knowledge, my resources into helping other women to be the women they want to be. To add what Diane just said, slowly or time, time really flows differently. To different people, and that's another aspect of difference when it comes to age. I remember we're、um, discussing something. I'm planning three years down the road, and Diane wanted it to happen earlier, and I said we needed to focus. And she was the time is different to me than to compared to to、mm-hmm. you. And I was and talking about teaching, Diane. Even though it has been just two years. You're making a, such an imprint on me. Now I see time so differently than before. Where I felt time is infinite. There's a there's unlimited amount of time. Now I don't think that way. I think like Diane. I think time is a very limited, the most valuable asset that I, Diane, and the team has. Now we talk a lot about when we think about personal career development for every single person on our team. We ask ourselves, how do we make this time worthwhile for our customers? So that's to do a good business and product, and for the employees, for every person, how do you develop your career path within DBF, regardless of your age, so that your time at DBF is worthwhile for you for your future endeavor, either within DBF or outside DBF. It's amazing. Time is so precious, and I love what you're saying, Gabby. Because wherever you are in your age, wherever you are in your career, you should be aware of that time because it does go by so quickly. 
life. Life is everything. Life is the essence. And life is so precious and so real. Mm. And being in the present and it's being honest and it's, and it's being respectful. Mm. It's paying attention to details, paying attention to people. You get so much richer and you know so much more. Mm. Honesty, honesty, honesty is really truth is my religion. Mm. And Diane, you've clearly been a mentor to Gabby, but has she been one to you? Uh, yes, yes, because she's <laughs> such a good, she's such a good student. She really is. And sometimes, as, as she said, you know, she fights and she say, no, but no, but then she hears and, and then she retains what is, what is important and how to do it. And, and so for me, of course, I care about the future of DVF and the future of the brand. But I also like the idea of watching her, mm. watching her blossom oh. and watching her becoming this. I mean, I am there to support her. And the joy that she gives me is that she's worth it. Mm. And therefore, I don't waste my time, or at least I hope so. I don't think I can be a mentor to DBF, but I would say I'm a very truthful advisor mm. to Diane. And I think there's still so much for me to learn from her completely. What advice do you have for other leaders hoping to foster this type of powerful intergenerational relationship? Because what you have is so authentic and strong and, and real. Unique. Yes, and unique. Well, the first thing that came to my mind is that find DVF, find Diane. Well, <laughs> for people who can't find DVF, <laughs> step one, find you Diane. Know, at the end, you at the end, you also are your own mentor. Mm. I mean, she was lucky because I gave her the opportunity or whatever. But if it wasn't me, she would have found another opportunity. She would have found another thing. This, it goes back to the relationship you have with yourself. You also are your own mentor if you're honest, if you're not delusional, if you pay attention. And also if you see opportunities. When I say, when I talk to young people, you know, when you start life, you have all these doors in front of you. And, and which door is going to be your door, you don't know. So you have to be open and you have to, not judge things by the first impression. And you have to see where the opportunity is and you have to go with the river. You know, you don't, don't swim against the water. We talk about age, we talk about confidence, we talk about working with your boss, but fundamentally it's about passion. If you care that much, if you want it that much, regardless of the age of yourself or the age of your boss, you are going to raise your hand and say, I have an idea. How about this? And how about me? As scary, as crazy as that moment sounds, when you care and want something that much, when you know so clearly what your passion is and who you want to be, that is truly the foundation of doing everything. Absolutely. 
So not surprisingly, this conversation has been incredible. And I just want to wrap with a question that we ask all of our guests. What's the best piece of leadership advice you've ever gotten? And Gabby, I I imagine yours might be from Diane herself. Own it. Mm. Mm. Uh, Brian Lords, who is one of the founders of CAA and who is a friend of mine, he came from Louisiana, and so he was a Southern boy. And his grandfather gave him the best advice. Boy, he said, if you are the first to arrive at the office and the last to leave, your boss will notice you. And, you know, it's another way of saying that. You know, if you see how much passion you have, people will notice that. Well, I want to thank you both so much for taking the time to to chat with us. This was a wonderful conversation. And as partners ourselves, Lindsay and I, you are partnership goals for us of what you guys have created and the trust that you have for each other. So thank you so much. Okay. Good luck, everybody. Thank you, thank you too. That was Gabby Harada and Diane von Furstenberg. An amazing conversation with two powerhouses. So honestly, I think my biggest takeaway from this question of how to make intergenerational magic is we're actually just too focused on age in general. Yeah. And I thought what they said about leveraging the differences in their working styles was so much more important than any difference in their age or generation. Like, Diane is this big picture visionary, and Gabby is the savvy operator. And what we really need to be focused on is how to find and tap into each other's different experiences and working styles, regardless of how they came about. We talk about that all the time, Carolyn. We're a good partnership because our working styles are so different, and they usually complement each other. Usually. But I am very much structure and planning. And I'm creative chaos. <laughs> and that dynamic is so much more important in our partnership than any five-year age gap. Right, because our differences are probably more of a feature of who we are than the years we were born. Although some days, Lindsay, I feel those five years. I feel it in my bones. Ugh, such a zennial. That's all for this episode of The New Rules of Business by Chief. You can find us on LinkedIn, or if you're interested in joining the Chief Network, apply to be a member at chief.com. Thanks to Sharon Yee, Courtney Conley, Katrina Conan and Real, Blaine Edens, and Gabriella Margarino at Chief. And to our production team pod people, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Amy Machado, Andy Bosnack, Madison Lesby, Michelle O'Brien, and Veronica Simonetti. Our music is by Colin Hatch. I'm Carolyn Childers. And I'm Lindsay Kaplan. Thanks for listening.